0: Thank you, worship team. God is amazing, isn't he? And when you think about His presence, we'll be talking a little bit about that later on uh, this morning too, as we as we get into God's Word. I do want to just share with you a couple of, of things. Just uh, uh, just we're thinking of, of the body of Christ, as we we are really one body together. I want you to be praying for uh, for Ed and Carolyn Fredrickson. Uh I got a call from Carolyn this week, and she has been diagnosed with colon cancer. And uh, it was a surprise, they weren't expecting that, uh, but you know she's trusting in the Lord. And uh, uh, so we'll be uh, praying for her. She does not know yet if they're going to be talking about uh, uh, surgery or chemotherapy, but she's part of us, is she not? And so let's be praying for her. I also had the privilege this week, too, to meet one of the newest among us, uh, as I got to go to the hospital and, uh, and see William Jack Troop. And uh, hold him in my arms. I don't remember my kids being that small. Probably because they never were. All my kids were born big. <laughs> and, uh, so, but uh, but what a privilege it is to to see the miracle of life and to see uh, see life brought into this world. And that just reminds me of of how amazing God is too. Isn't that true? And uh, all the moms are saying yes. I know. And and uh, so it's it's an amazing thing. And, and also to be praying for, there's a good amount of, uh, of our people that are not here today because they're at Wilderness Weekend, and some of our young uh, members and some of the adults that have gone as sponsors, and so be praying for them as they're traveling today. I've been praying all weekend that the Lord would do a mighty work in their lives, and I, I hope that you're praying the same thing too. And uh, So let's, uh, let's get started uh, today. Let me ask you this, how many of you have ever been tired of waiting? <laughs> okay. Alright, I see a lot of hands. Usually when I ask questions, I see a couple of nods. Today, I see hands going up, All right. I, I, I hate waiting, which is why driving in, in San Jose traffic in Costa Rica was, was, drove me crazy. <laughs> because half the time, you're just waiting because it, the traffic is so bad. But just waiting uh, can be a difficult thing. Have you ever been in a situation where you were waiting for something, but you had no idea when it was actually going to happen and uh, you, you get in that situation in life where you feel like you just have to change something. You're not sure what it is, but you just have to change something. Have you ever been there? Yeah. And sometimes we, we are actually tempted to make some big decisions and, uh, because of that. Because we know we're just not comfortable right here. We don't know what's next. We don't know where to go. And uh, oftentimes that's when we make some of the, worst, uh, of the worst decisions. I remember one time I went to uh, a missions event uh, missions Conference in Nicaragua. That sounds like a long way away, but at the time when I lived in Costa Rica, that was only a 45 minute uh, flight away. But I went to Nicaragua and the heat was just unbearable. Uh, especially when you're used to Costa Rica where it's 85 is really hot. We went, to Co- we went to Nicaragua and it was humid and hot and we were in meetings all day. And I remember the, the whole day we could look out and the camp had a pool and I could not wait for the evening to get out and just jump into that pool and cool off. And, uh, and so when we finally got out of our meetings around 10 o'clock at night, <laughs> I headed straight for that pool and I jumped into the water and it was hot. <laughs> it was like sauna hot. And, I thought, oh, and there was just no relief. Well, after the conference was over, we boarded a plane and I could not wait to get back to, to my home, get back to Costa Rica. And uh, we got on the plane um, and it was delayed man, this is horrible, and we're sitting in this plane on the tarmac, just waiting for it, waiting for an opportunity to go, and finally they let us take off, and I couldn't wait to be home and see my family again, and we got, it, uh, we got around uh, uh, 10 minutes from what should have been our landing time, and I noticed we were circling, oh, what's going on, and they said there's a storm in San Jose, and we had to just wait, just wait. And that was the most miserable time. I, I'd like to tell you the rest of the story sometime because we ended up not landing in Costa Rica at all. We had to go all the way back to Nicaragua and wait there for several hours. It was a, it was a mess. But just that sense of when, when is this? When, this has got to change. Something's got to change. How many of you have been there spiritually? Look, something's just not right. Something's got to change. I, I can imagine that that's how the Israelites were feeling for 40 years waiting to enter the Promised Land. Can you imagine that? Remember, and uh, as we take our journey with Joshua, if you can turn to Joshua, we'll be mainly in chapter three. But I want us to take a look at uh, verse uh, uh, at verse uh, eleven of chapter one as well. I'm, I've titled this message, "Crossing the Jordan, Part One." Okay, Part One. It's the preface to the miracle because we see God do some amazing things in in, uh, in, in Joshua three and four. But this is kind of the preface to that miracle. I think that's an important part of it. Um, But we have to understand the context of it. So if we look at uh, chapter one, verse eleven, briefly, we were were reminded of where they where. It says, "I said, pass through the camp and command the people, saying, prepare provisions for yourselves, for within three days you will cross over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess." (laughs) Imagine forty years of waiting. And then finally you're told, guess what, we're entering the promised land, but then you have to wait for three more days. In three days. So there's anticipation, but there's that sense of waiting and that preparation uh, that takes place. So in our journey with jo- Joshua, that's what we're going to talk about this week, is, is that preface to the miracle that takes place. And I have to admit, I wrestled with uh, with this text all week long. I spent a lot more more hours than I typically do preparing for a message because as I was working with the text, there were so many things coming up that just didn't make sense at first. Also, chapters three and four actually go together. Chapters three and four. So I'm already ahead of myself for next week a little bit. I've done a lot of the studying that I need to do for for next week. But I have to be honest, this is the latest I've ever sent my message to Dennis to put on the PowerPoints here because, because I struggled with it all week. But I want to share with you a little, and take you along with me on that struggle um, it begins in chapter 3 with a camping narrative where they're in the acacia grove. Some of your translations might say uh, "shatim," which is the Hebrew word for acacia grove. Uh, so there, it starts with this camping in the acacia grove. And then there's a promise to Joshua that God said he was going to exalt Joshua in verses 3 through 17. And for some reason, the focus immediately goes to the feet of the priests... And so later on, we'll see this connection there, but it focuses on the feet of the priests and where they needed to be as they entered and exited the Jordan River. From there, um, uh, we find the, the story of the priests going into the Jordan and the people crossing over the Jordan River. And then we have some directions given about 12 stones. We'll talk about this next week. Amazing thing. Directions are given of what to do with 12 stones. Explains what the purpose of the stones is, and then, and then we find crossing the Jordan River. And I remember as I'm studying this, I'm thinking, wait, we already read that part. So it's going back into time, and so the chronology is, is at least from the first glance, seems messed up. And then we find another uh, explanation of the, the purpose of the stones, but now as a memorial. And then we find the directions of the 12 stones being followed. Now, if you're writing all this down, don't write all this down. I'm just kind of taking you along the journey for a moment. and then, then we find the priests in the Jordan for a third time, but it's really only happened one time chronologically, and the, the people crossed over, and then we find Joshua being exalted, and once again, it focuses on the feet of the priests, and then their camp camped at Gilgal. So as I'm looking at this passage, and I'm trying to make sense of why in the world does the, the chronology go back so many times and, and retell the story, and uh, and, and so... I was confused, I have to admit. But is God the author of confusion? No, God is not the author of confusion. I looked and I saw we we crossed here, we crossed there, we crossed here. It didn't make sense to me. I was confused. But God, as we just said, is not the author of confusion. Amen? But at the same time, Proverbs tells us that if you cry out for discernment, and if you lift up your voice for understanding, and if you seek for her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then what's going to happen? Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Sometimes God creates this so a uh, situation like this, so we have to dig. And, uh, and so sometimes it's not as easy as just reading the daily bread for the day. Sometimes you have to really get into God's word. And, uh, and that's what I was wrestling with all week. And uh, then I started seeing that the first part and the last part, there are a lot of parallels between the camping narrative and the Acacia Grove and the camping narrative in Gilgal. The second portion... Where God promised to exalt Joshua And focus on the feet of the priests Fits with the second to last portion of the the text Where Joshua actually is exalted And then we find the the priests in the Jordan River And we find those two stories parallel to each other And you can go right on down the list And we see the directions given We see the directions followed We see the, the purpose of the stones explained And right in the middle We find the crossing of the Jordan River So really the text looks a little bit more like this Okay and, then, and that helped me understand this text. They called this a chiasm because it looks like the Greek letter chi. Uh, that's not an X. That's chi. <laughs> um, but we see that. And, and, but it really opened up my eyes to see that it's not just a story about crossing the river. The events that lead up to this miracle are very important. And the events that follow from this miracle are just as important. Because oftentimes we want to focus on the miracle. We're just waiting for God to do something. But how we wait and what we do up to that point is very important. And then how we follow up with that, we'll see next week, is going to be just as important. Because that is going to really get us on our journey of faith that God is taking us along. That he's taking the people of Israel on this journey of faith. So, so this week we're going to really focus on the preparations. But today, if you are taking notes, this is where you can begin to take notes. The three preparations for entering the promised land. And we're going to look at three ways that God prepared his people to enter the promised land. And then we're going to talk about how that can apply to us. So are you ready to go on this journey with me? Yes. Oh, that sounds horrible. Are you ready to go on this journey with me? Yes. Alright, all right. we need the teens here to kind of get us going, right? Alright, so uh, yes, we're, we're, we're going to go. So let's start, I realize that there was a three-day waiting think about that for a moment. So let's start uh, Joshua chapter 3, verse 1. We already read in chapter 1, but let's look at uh, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from the Acacia Grove, and came to the Jordan. He and all the children of Israel lodged there before they crossed over. And so it was, after three days, that the officers went through the camp, and they commanded the other people, saying... And I won't go into uh, the rest of that at this point. I just want us to see that this is what was going on. We have... Uh, the context of God saying, "You waited 40 years; wait three more days." Now, why on earth, why on earth would God ask them to wait for three days? And where is this concept of three days? Why three days? Why not two? Why not four? And what we find is that this is another example of how the Scriptures is a finely woven tapestry. What I mean by that is there are themes that come up in Scripture. And they just pop their head up in Scripture and then they disappear and they come up again and then they, they disappear and they come up again. But overall, as you start to see the big picture of Scripture, a beautiful picture comes, comes out of it. And we see this concept uh, again when we read about the three days. In fact, if we were to we look at Genesis uh, chapter 40 and uh, verses 12 and 13, you don't have to turn there. I'm going to fly through this part. But, but we have Joseph interpreting the butler's dream. You remember that story? And he's interpreting the butler's dream. And there were three branches in the dream. And Joseph said those three branches represent three days. The butler was in prison, falsely accused. And he said, in three days, you will be restored. There's this sense of having to wait for three days for some kind of restoration. To go from prison to being back into a restored relationship with the pharaoh. Now, that might seem like a stretch if we look at just the one. But then we can go to Exodus 3.18. And we find uh, that, uh, that Moses was told that he needed three days to sacrifice to the Lord because there, there needed to be a three-day period of anticipation before they could offer their sacrifices to the Lord. And then we come to Exodus 5.3. Moses asked Pharaoh for those three days so that they could restore the, the sacrifices. You don't have to go too much further in Exodus 8:27 uh, during the fourth plague, Moses demands three days from Pharaoh so that they could offer their sacrifices. In Exodus 10:22 uh, during the ninth plague, um, they had to wait three days in darkness. Remember the ninth plague where God was kind of making fun of the, the, the he, or the uh, Pharaoh, uh, excuse me, the Egyptian god Ra, right? He's one by one with the plagues. He's making fun of each of the, the Egyptian gods. And Ra, you know, God is the sun god. And so he said for three days they had to be in darkness after he repented, after he wanted to uh, to be in the light. He said, okay, but you have to wait in darkness for three days. See the picture that's starting to come out as you look at all of these instances where God is making people wait three days? It's because he's saying, I want you to wait to anticipate to see what God's going to do. And uh, we see that again in, in, uh, in Numbers 10. Then we come to Joshua, uh, or excuse me, Exodus 15:22. Uh, 22. Um, once they did cross uh, the Red Sea, they had to wait three days for water, if you can imagine that. Three days for water. No new sources of water for three days. Uh, or you come to Numbers uh, 10, 33. They had to wait three days after Sinai before they could find a place to rest. Or what we just read in Joshua 1.11, three days before they would cross the Jordan River. And we find it again in 3.2 where it says after the three days. And that's the context where we find this. There's this sense of something big is about to happen. Something's going to change. You're either going to go from jail to freedom or from darkness to light. You're going from one side of the Jordan to the other. That's the the concept that's that's taking place here. In fact, just just to take us along the journey a little further to see the bigger context... And Jonah, what happened with Jonah? He was swallowed by a great fish. He repented. And did God have the fish spit him up right then and there? No, he had to wait three days in the belly of a fish. You can go forward to Matthew, and it says just as Jonah had to wait three days in the belly of a fish, Jesus was going to wait three days in the belly of the earth. And... Then we find it actually happening in chapter 27 where Jesus said, You destroy the temple and in three days I will rebuild it. Jesus died on the cross. Things couldn't get any darker. And three days later he rose from the grave. Amen? I don't know if that that does not get you a little bit excited then I don't know it will, right? That Jesus Christ rose from the dead three days later. It's this concept of waiting. But why in the world I want to ask the question, why does God make this way? I mean, why does he make it and why does he do that? In fact, he, he takes us through the darkest moment lets things get as dark as they can. He even let his own son die on the cross to pay for our sins. It seems like Satan's got his victory and then he shows himself. Then he flexes his muscle and then he changes up. Why does God do it that way? Is there a purpose for that waiting? I think, I think that uh, uh, there are at least three that we can find as we think through this text. Number one, God makes us wait so that we lose our false sense of control and we wait on him. You know, how many of you are human beings? Okay. Then you, then you suffer from con- wanting to control everything, don't you? It's just a human, it's human nature. We want things to be within our control. And the moment things are outside of our control, we panic We want things to be inside of our own control. But who really controls everything? God does. So that's why I say it's that false sense of control. Because really we don't control anything. We think we do. We can make all the plans. In fact, I remember uh, reading on Larry's bio uh, bio on the the website. uh, He said one of his favorite sayings was, If you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. (laughs) Because we can make all the plans we want. But in reality... God's the one who controls. When God asks us to wait, and you might be in a waiting period today, but when God asks us to wait, part of the reason is that he wants us to lose that sense of being in control ourselves so that we can learn to lean on him. And oftentimes when we wait and we don't see the purpose of waiting, I didn't, if we don't understand the purpose of flying around for, for a while uh, in a holding pattern, it just drives us crazy. But we can, it can help us if we understand what the purpose is. And part of that purpose is God wants us to lean on him. Uh, look at uh, Psalm 27, 11 through 14. David had this concept down. So said, teach me your way, o, uh, o Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes. For false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And what's his conclusion? Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. What was David saying? Boy, things are going crazy. Enemies are around me. Everyone's making fun of me. They're saying, they're saying things that aren't true about me. My my own reputation is at stake. And, and I have nowhere to go. And so what does he do? He says, I have confidence. Because I'm just waiting on the Lord. David understood that concept. That you know what? He might think things have gotten out of control because from a human perspective they had but God was still in control. Isn't that true? And some of you might be in some type of waiting pattern. I feel for, for Carol Fredrickson who just found out that she has colon cancer. And that's changed the direction of, of everything in life. It's a, it's, it's a it's rocked to world, in a sense. But you know what? God is still there. God is still in control. God's got her in a waiting pattern. But he's got a purpose for that waiting pattern. Usually, when that happens to us, when we lose control, what do we do? We panic. We panic. We make bad decisions. In fact, I had a soccer coach who used to tell me, never make a decision in time of indecision is right because we make bad decisions we panic um, and we, we oftentimes could make some, some wrong decisions I remember when we were raising support to become missionaries in Costa Rica my wife said to me how long would we have to go without raising any support before you would wonder whether or not God was, was leading us in a different direction I remember thinking well, that's an odd question and, and so I said I don't know maybe a year I don't know it, If we went a whole year and we didn't get any support, then uh, you know maybe maybe then I would question it, revealing really that in my in my mind who was in control. I was in control, and I would say ironically, but I don't believe in it. I believe that God was in control of this. We uh, we had gained some support up until that point. Starting that we did not get any once, but we were visiting churches. We got invitations. We were going to churches. We talked to people about our mission. We, were, we gave the passion of what, what we, what we uh, believed God was calling us to do. And an entire year went by, and we didn't get any support. And so I remember when a year went by, I, uh, I was a Christian education pastor at the church, and so I just took a walk in the church. I went up into the balcony of our church where no one would see me, and I got flat on my face, and I just cried out to God and said, God, what, what do you want me to do? I have to lean on you. I have to lean on you. And it was a, it was a beautiful time, actually, uh, with my relationship with God. And, and uh, what I found then is I got up with a new sense of freedom because I wasn't in control, and I knew I wasn't in control. I knew God was in control. And if He wanted me to wait, then I would wait. I didn't have to wait too long. I went back to the, uh, to the office, and there was a message from Monica. And uh, so I was going to give her a quick call back, but as a multitasker, I was pulling up my email as well, and I saw an email that said, change of support notice from AWE. So I clicked on that, and I saw that there was a church that had picked us up for support while I was up there praying. So I was excited. I couldn't wait to call Monica, so I called Monica, and I said, Monica, you n- you'll never believe what I, I... And she said, no, 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 let me go first. I, we just got to call. We have a church that supported us. And I said, I know. And, she, and come to find out, she was talking about a different church. And so I couldn't believe it. I was excited by the end of the day, I had another email. I think it was, wasn't it four different sources or three at least? Uh, yeah, we went up 27% in one day. I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? Praise God. And God, God does it. I mean, God does those things. But it started with a lesson that he had to teach me. And that lesson was, Dave, it's not about you. It's not about how well you present. It's not about... How how much passion you show. It's not about how nice your prayer card looks or any of those things. It's about God and His time. Amen? Amen. And we see that happen. God does this oftentimes, so we'll lose that sense of self-control and we start leaning on Him. Secondly, um, so that we recognize His role, so we recognize His role in our deliverance. You know, when when we lean on ourselves and things go well, where does the credit go? It goes to us. When we lean on ourselves and things don't go well, where does the blame go? On God. Isn't just the, that's human nature, isn't it? I, I remember uh, when 9-11 happened and then the reaction after that, the big question that many people were asking was, where was God on 9-11, right? Forgetting the fact that the day before on 9/10 they took down all of the uh, the Ten Commandments in every courthouse in New York, uh, in New York City, they don't want God to be a part of their life. They want to do things on their own. But the moment that that God isn't protecting them, God isn't doing things on their time, we don't we, we we blame Him. When God causes us to lean on Him, all of the credit then when when He does something great goes to Him. This is a preface to a miracle because it's important because if we are in a situation where if we set ourselves up so that we will be taking the credit for all the glory that God does, then we're going to miss out on what God does because he's not going to do it for us. Does that make sense? We have to have the right attitude of saying, you know what, the glory goes to God. We see that in the text too. We'll, uh, we'll talk about this a little bit later. but. We see this in the text when God said to Joshua, I am going to exalt you in the eyes of the people. And the first thing he does is he reflects that glory right back to God. So God makes us wait sometimes just so that we can see his role when he does deliver. And then thirdly, to God uh, lets us wait sometimes because he, he has to prepare us for what he has in store. I'm going to be very open and just share another another story of Uh, For my own life, but when when we did go to Costa Rica, we thought we were there forever. We thought we'd make an occasional trip back here to let the churches know what's going on. But we we thought we would be there forever, and we loved it. We had a a great ministry there. God used multiple things to show that that, uh, including uh, some health issues in the family, to bring us back. But you know what's interesting is God did not pull us out of Costa Rica and directly into something else. From the time that we got back to the United States. To the time that we took accepted this position here was right around three years altogether. Now we were busy; we were serving the Lord. We wrote a lot of uh, curriculum during that time that's being used in in Costa Rica and Ecuador, and and, uh, as soon as we get it in English, we'll probably be using some of it here when we get the servant leaders ministry going. But you know what? We felt that fog of this can't be where we stay. We saw our support going down because it's hard to it's hard to raise support when you're living in the United States, right? When you're suffering for Jesus in a, in somewhere where you can't get just peanut butter, then people are willing to give, right? And, uh, and so it was tough. So we saw our support going down. We saw our finances going down. And uh, we, we just realized, okay, we're not comfortable here. we were in that holding pattern in that waiting pattern. And it, it, at that time, that you can be tempted to make some really bad decisions if you're not willing to wait it out make some really bad decisions. I I um, looked at a position where, and I was ready to take it even though I did not sense it was God's leading. It was a good church. I liked everything from a human standpoint. It was a good church and it would take care of us and all those kinds of things. But it also would not have allowed me to have the, to, to fulfill a vision that I believe God placed on my heart. And God was preparing me through all of that. And I saw things in my wife. I saw things in my children. I got to know them in ways. I got to see what their needs were. I got to see the culture. I got to see the, and to really develop a passion for reaching people here in the United States. You know, do you realize how much of a multicultural, multi-ethnic area Kentwood is? 30 languages represented at the school. 30 languages represented at the school. Think about that. Um, and, I, and I developed that passion. God wasn't just making me wait he was changing me he was preparing me he was helping me see things he was teaching me the lessons that I needed to learn for the job that he gave me to do does that make sense and if we sometimes if we we lose sight of the things that God's teaching us in those waiting periods and, uh, and we lose sight of those things but we ought not maybe uh, maybe you're in a waiting period but don't don't lose hope and don't panic God's still in it. Amen? Amen. You guys have been, as a church, have gone through a a transitional time. you know, From the the time, for example, that Larry came till now, he was here 19 months, is that right? That's a long period of time. Trying to figure out, where are we going? What are we gonna do? That's a long, that's a tough thing to wait through. But do you think God has been preparing you too for what he's called you to do? Amen? And he's preparing you, he's been preparing me, he's been preparing us all together because I believe that God is not done with what he's going to do to reveal his glory Right here at Heritage Baptist Church Amen, Amen. And, uh, and I'm excited to see I've seen the way God is already starting that And uh, um, I feel like I feel like the Israelites when they were just told Three days Because things are happening And uh, I was praying for, for the Lord for three specific men I didn't know who they were but I needed three specific men To help accomplish the vision And, and the Lord has brought three men One man individually for each of those three things To me I didn't have to seek them out that's God. That's God doing that. And um, and so I'm excited to see that. Well, um, let's uh, take a look at the second thing that God did. He, he gave him a three-day waiting period, but he also gave him a, a second type of preparation. And that was uh, some directions to follow the ark. So let's take a look uh, back in chapter 3. Look at verses 2 through 4. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp and they commanded the people, saying... When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near, uh, that you may know the, uh, the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. So he gives them this instruction that has to do with the Ark of the Covenant. Now what does the Ark of the Covenant represent? represents the very presence of God. When they committed the sin of, 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 of worshiping the golden calf, God created this system for them to return, to restore their relationship with God. And it was, He drew out this diagram in the form of a tabernacle. And they would work their way in from being outside the tabernacle to being right into the, the Holy of Holies. And then what was inside the Holy of Holies? Three articles, each one representing a member of the Trinity. The, the, the God the Father being represented by the Ark of the Covenant. That's why it was created to look into the image, really, of His throne room in heaven. And so it represents the presence of God. I think I find it interesting in this text that we find that that they were told that it needed they needed to be close enough to see the Ark, but far enough away for everyone to follow the Ark. In other words, they wanted the the, the Ark to be seen because they wanted. God wanted them to understand that the presence of God is key in what miracle he was about to, to realize. The presence of God was very important in that, but it needed to be far enough to be followed um, because if you get everyone too close, what happens? Well, you're no longer following the ark, you're following people, and you start people following, and no, he wanted a, the distance of about 20 football fields so that everyone could be that far enough to see the ark of God, and they would get up and they would follow the ark of God, So when we're going through uh, some uncertain times, when we're going through tough times, then what should be our guide? I'd say, number one, God's presence. Uh, when, when you're going through those, those difficult times of waiting, you're going through those tough times, your guide should be God's presence. What we learned in uh, chapter one was that God's presence was dependent upon one thing. What was that? He told Joshua... You're, I, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you with one, with one stipulation. And that stipulation was that he had to obey God's word, not, not straight to the left or to the right from God's word. And so really that guy needs to be obedience to what we already know is true. It, it's interesting to me that you find these words uh, in here where it talks about following the ark. And these are the exact same directions that God had given them for 40 years the directions had not changed. Every time the, the, temp- or the tabernacle was to move and uh, they would follow the ark, they, would, they, they just did everything that they were supposed to do. Um, and so the directions really hadn't changed, but what does God say? What did change? He said in verse 4, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. He's taking them to places they have never been before. How many of you have ever seen the movie Hoosiers? Okay, I might be dating myself by saying that, but Hoos is, uh, is a movie about a basketball team based on a true story in, in Indiana. It was a sm- from the small town of Hickory. In fact, they only had six people on their team, uh, and one of them was, was uh, a really short guy that didn't even like to play basketball. He was just there to hang out with everybody. And... Uh, And this new coach comes in, and he starts teaching them, and he has weird tactics for teaching them, but he teaches them how to work together, he teaches them how to form a real team, and that team starts winning games, not only do they start winning games, but they eventually make it to the state championship, if you can imagine that. And if you you see the movie, when they walk into the state championship, they go into this huge, this huge stadium, and you can just see the look on everybody's faces, like, oh man, this is... You know, it's overwhelming. And so the coach says to one of the guys, he says, hey, take this tape measure, go over there and measure from the backboard to the free throw line. So he goes over there and he measures it and he says, 15 feet, sir. He says, okay, good. And he says, he asks the small guy to hop onto the shoulders of another one of the guys and he goes over there and he measures. So he measure from the rim to the floor. So he measures from the rim to the floor, 10 feet. Okay, very good. And circles everyone up together and he says, Gentlemen, I believe you'll find that these are the exact same specifications of our gym in Hickory. And they all kind of laugh. You know, and then you can just sense the tension just being relieved. Why? He's saying, um, you're gonna, everything that happens inside this court is the same thing that we've been doing back in Hickory from town to town. None of that changes. But I'm taking you to some places where you've never been before. And it's exciting. But what doesn't change are all the fundamentals. It's the, the, the what you're supposed to do from day in and day out. Our guide never changes. Our guide is the presence of God. Our guide is obedience to his word, and that is never going to change. Amen? Amen. But God can then take us, if we're obedient, and say, now I'm going to take you as obedient people to new places where you've never been before. Isn't that exciting? Yeah. And, uh, and so I think that's that's an exciting thought. And so that obedience to God's word... Look how, uh, how David understood that. In Psalm 119, verses 101 to 105, it says, I have re- uh, res- restrained my feet from every evil way that I might keep your word. I have not departed from your judgments, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. You see the reliance that David has on the obedience to God, And then what does he say? Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Notice he does not say, your word is the sun, so I can see one horizon from the other one. No, your word is a lamp unto my feet. What's the imagery that we have? That's darkness all around, and you have enough light to take the next step. And then when you get there, you have enough light to take the next step, which I won't take here. The word, My word is a lamp unto my feet. Oftentimes we don't get the long, the, 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 the long distance picture of where God's taking us. Sometimes we're in that fog and all we know is to take that next step. Because it's just obedience to God's word. And that should be our guide as we follow God. As we, we make sure we stay close to him, to him and his presence. The third, uh, the third preparation that we find uh, comes in verses 5 and 6, and we, and, uh, and we're, where God gives them an order of self-sanctification. Let's, uh, let's read that and see what that's talking about. Verse 5 and 6. And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among, among you. Then Joshua spoke to the priest, saying, Take up the ark of the covenant and cross over before the people. So they took up the ark and they went before the temple. So self-sanctification. Where does this concept even come from? Uh, This idea of self-sanctification. Really it goes all the way back to when they they crossed the first time. And uh, I'm going to uh, turn to Exodus 19. And see the first time you see this process of self-sanctification. To find out a little bit more about what that means. But in verses 10 through 15. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. But just listen carefully as I read. Then the Lord said to Moses... Go to the people and consecrate. That's the same word there. Consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him. But he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow. Whether man or beast, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and and sanctified the people and they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not come near your wives. See what's going on here? He's saying, be ready for the third day. We see a lot of themes that are common between Exodus 19 and Joshua 3, do we not? We see this, the concept of keeping a distance between them and God and what God was doing, but yet being close enough to see it. We see the concept of three days. Um, we see all of it here. But what they did for this consecration is, is they would wash their clothes, they would put on their best clothes, and then they would, they would abstain from the relationships, even with their spouses. They would, uh, they would abstain from some, some of those kinds of things. Why? To take our focus off of earthly things and put our focus up on to what God is doing. And they can put their focus up on the Sinai and see what God was doing. And so now they're told, hey, it's been three days, let's sanctify ourselves. What does that mean? That means, hey, let's, let's get ready. Let's prepare our hearts. Let's change our focus from all of the earthly things and focus on God because, why? He's about to do something great. He's about to do something great. So why did they... This, uh, this self-sanctification. Number one, it causes us to focus on higher things. By higher things, I'm talking about not the things of the earth. That's what sanctification in this sense of the word, consecration, is all about. It's it's taking our focus off of the things in the world and putting our focus on what it needs to be. Uh, we find this concept repeated in the, in the New Testament multiple times. Uh, just uh, this morning in the car on the way here too, I heard uh, a song that was talking about, uh, you know the song Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus Amen. and the things of earth will grow strangely dim why? because it's in the light of his glorious grace and so when we focus on God we lose our focus on those other things and so we have to do that. Second reason why he asked them is because it creates this eager expectation they've waited 40 years God says 3 days sanctify yourselves uh, you remember what it's like to be a kid at Christmas time. And if your parents say to you, it's only three days till Christmas. then What happens to that child for three straight days? <laughs> they're, trying, they're looking at the presents. They're, they're maybe shaking them, trying to figure out what it is. They're all excited. And these are just for presents. How excited should we be for the presence of God, right? To, to see God at work. And God's saying, you're waiting, but for a purpose. God is about to do something great. I hope that you have that eager expectation. God created it in their hearts so that they would be able and ready for the miracle that he was about to give them. But I hope that you have that eager expectation. What about you today? As we close, I want to ask you a couple of questions. First, is, is God asking you to wait? Are you in some kind of holding pattern right now? Maybe you've lost hope. Uh, maybe just even going through the last few years and wondering where are we going to go, what's going to happen, and, and, and that, that takes its toll. And some some probably did give up. And here, here you are today. And maybe you're coming today. Maybe uh, maybe you've lost a job. you're Lord, I'm trying. I'm doing all the right things to get a job, but there's just nothing showing up. Uh, I know that uh, we, I've been praying for one of the families in the church because as you turn in those connection cards, we do pray for, for you. I've been praying for one of the families in the church uh, in that situation. Maybe there are others in that same situation. Or maybe it's just where you are in life. You've gotten to a point where you're just saying, things are not going the way I wanted them to go and I'm not sure what, what God's calling me to do. I don't know what your waiting pattern is, what, what your holding pattern is, what God's asking you to do, but maybe you're there And if so, I would just want to encourage you to surrender control to him. Really, that's that's a misnomer, right? You can't surrender control to God. He's already in control. Sender that false sense of control to God and lean on him. Or maybe, uh, maybe you're at a crossroads and you're wondering what God's will is for you. I'd say follow the ark. Now, we don't have the physical, literal ark today, but follow the presence of God. Obey what you know to be true. Be in God's word daily. Ask him what to do. And maybe he won't give you the long-term plans he has for you, but I guarantee you, if you're in God's word, he'll give you the lamp to your feet so you know the next step to take. One step at a time. Or maybe you're tired of waiting to see what God will do. And I just say, sanctify yourselves. Take your focus off of yourself and eagerly expect God to do something great. When we're, when we're prepared, God does great things. He shows up. When we're not prepared, oftentimes we create our own fog. Let's prepare ourselves to see what God's going to do. Amen? Let's, let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. And before we pray, there might be some in here that say, Pastor Dave, I have never experienced the presence of God. I've never been there. I have never except except, except that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. If that's you today, if you're not sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're going to spend eternity with God in heaven, would you just look up at me today? No one else is looking. If that's you, would you look up at me today and say, Pastor, I want to accept Jesus Christ today. I want to know for sure that that I'm I'm going to spend eternity with him today. if there's anyone in here, if I I didn't catch your eyes, come see me afterwards today. I'll be in the welcome center afterwards uh, right behind the auditorium. Come talk to me. I I don't want anyone to go one more day without knowing where they're going to spend their eternal (coughs) destiny. And now for those of you who are are 100% certain, you know that you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You know you're on your way to heaven. Are you in the fog of life? Have Have you been in this holding pattern? maybe at a point where you're ready to make some wrong decisions because you're impatient and you haven't seen the purpose for what God's doing in your, in your time of waiting. And I would just like to encourage you to just come forward and rededicate that to the Lord. Consecrate yourself to the Lord right here spiritually. Just come forward and, and just pray. No one's going to interrupt you. It's between you and God. You can do it from your seat if you like as well too, but to say, Lord, I trust in you trust in, in your word even if it only tells me what step I need to take today, I don't need to know about tomorrow, I don't need to know about all those things but Lord I eagerly expect you to do great things if that's you, then I would ask you when we come to, to pray in just a moment, to come forward and pray let's go to the Lord together in prayer, Heavenly Father we thank you for who you are we thank you that you don't leave us waiting every time you promised to come on the third day, you did. Lord, we know the story. We know that they crossed the Jordan River. We know the story of Jesus who died on the cross. We know that he rose from the grave on the third day. Some of us might be in that period, Lord, maybe not even knowing that you're about to do something great right around the corner. Or wherever we are, may we trust in you and stay close to you. I pray this in Christ's name.